A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome once again to U2Y. This is chapter eight, and I have a bit of a confession to make. When I was researching the series, for some reason, I had completely disregarded the album Zuropa. In my mind, I had always seen it as kind of a tour album or a tour EP, when really it is part of the main lexicon of U2 releases. And in no way is this record seen as inferior. I think a lot of people actually cite this as their favorite album and most unique album outside of the Passengers record. It's also in some ways the most important release because it's the first record sleeve where Steve and his team were using computers. This is a digital record sleeve, the first time they would produce such a thing. So it's very important that we talk about this record. There is a line in the opening and title track, Zuropa, Zuropa, Vorsprung durch Technik, which translates roughly to led by technology or advancement through technology. But this episode is going to be a shorter episode. We're going to talk about Zuropa. We're also going to talk a little bit about the accompanying merchandise, which began to explode on this campaign. And then we will also talk a little bit about the magazine that you two were releasing called Propaganda. Unfortunately, in my error, I have not licensed any music from the Zeropa record, so we will be going without accompaniment this chapter. Nonetheless, I think it's an interesting conversation. This is the penultimate release in our podcast story, U2Y. Next week, we talk about pop, and following that, we'll have a conclusive episode, a, an epilogue, if you will. A reminder that you can sign up for exclusive updates at stephenaveril.com forward slash U2Y with some exciting news coming very soon. And you can follow Steve for some updates on Instagram forward slash Design. Thanks again for tuning in. This is Zuropa. The production of this record sounds somewhat chaotic with the band essentially flying back and forth between shows to, to realize it. Co-producer Flood calls this period absolute lunacy. Kind of you like. <laughs> so did the Zeropa album come as a surprise to you? 
Yeah, it was. It was not what we thought. We had the, we had the usual break after Actung of maybe a year, year, year and a half before we got into working on another project. And it was in fact we were more or less straight into it. Uh, this record was pieced together in between show dates, and was the product of flying back and forward from shows back to Dublin for recording and mixing. Were you guys involved from the earlier stages? No, we were there, we were there at the early part of it uh, in the studio having conversations and uh, that carried on because they were touring and it was very uh, a different setup than normally would happen with with an album anyway. As I stated in my introduction that this record is very important because it's the first time that a computer is used to help facilitate the design ideas. Can you bring us back to that time and considering the idea of bringing in this new technology to the office? And did you specifically buy a computer to help realize this forthcoming record or did you already kind of have it in the studio? Um, shortly before the whole process, we, we had been look, looking at it and realizing that this was the way of the future. Uh, and we kind of thought, can we afford to buy one? In fact, the Apple Mac uh, Quadro 700, I think, if memory serves, costs more than a Mac costs now with a hell of a lot more power. It was a um, small little screen, uh, you know, sat in the corner. So it was the first uh, sleeve that we designed on the Mac. Well, I'm trying to understand how this feels for you, a very tactile analog designer used to working in, in the physical realm, two-dimensional boards. Was it scary? Oh, of course it was scary because, I mean, you know, 20 years of your career or more had been about producing artwork on uh, flat artwork, bench artwork, as they called it, on boards with overlays and, and having an understanding of how you got the best out of that to, to achieve what you wanted to do. You could draw somewhat of a comparison between what's happening now with, with the threat of AI really to many aspects of our, of our lives, but in particular to the creative industries. So I'm wondering, did you see this new computer technology and the, the possibilities of digital as a necessary evil to a degree that you felt like you had to get one to keep up with where the industry was going? Or did you see this as a, a new tool to bring new possibilities and new capabilities? Well, I mean... Um... Anybody with their eyes on on the target uh, would realize in the design industry that this was the way you needed to go. Um, well, in, in truth, it's a bit of both because uh, I uh, it was a learning process and it was um, a realization that this was where the industry was probably going to go, which was going to fundamentally change um, the way we approach the work for certainly for as old, the older designers who had always done their work on a board on, on flat artwork. So you had to rethink your process. And and the, the quadra in the studio was a learning curve for all of us. We kind of looked at it and saw how it was working and how effective it might be. Um, and I think we just knew that this was the direction we, we had to go in, whether we wanted to or not. So is it fair to say then that you didn't resist or push back on this technology? No, no. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it, at that stage, you know, it would have been a, a kind of as, as much a financial and uh, decision for the company as, as anything else because uh, they were, weren't cheap to get one in and uh, uh, it was a conscious decision that we needed to move that direction. Do you remember these new machines being attractive to clients? Um, 
like a, like a thing being state of the art or Emperor's New Clothes even, like where you two or other clients kind of going, oh, you really want to make a an album cover on a computer. I don't I don't think that the the clients at that stage were really that aware of how we produced the artwork. It was just simply we produced the album covers and we were still doing obviously one Mac and four designers in the studio. Uh the other three are still working in traditional traditional way. Um so it was, you know, once we got into it, we obviously had to then get more computers into the office and and and, and move that direction. So within a year, I would say we were on computer and we weren't doing doing hardly any work or artwork the old school way was Europa then finished entirely in the box on the computer yes it was yeah yeah it was I mean Jean had done a variation of Charlie Whiskers drawing of the baby he'd put the space helmet around it that was a physical drawing that he that he'd done um and uh the as far as I can recall from from the initial conversations I they were talking about the album called I think there was a few possible names for it, but Zeropa was pretty much what it became very early on. And I said what we needed was an electronic flag uh, to signify this, um, what the album was about, about a European sense. Um, I think you can feel the European influence even in the sound of this record. Yeah. There's obviously aspects of that experience on tour that are that are feeding back into the into the music. And it's also worth noting that the European Union was effectively galvanized in this uh, at this time 1993 and even looking at an early mock-up you can see that one possibility was essentially a a flat European flag with the blue and and yellow stars and then space baby yeah that was the first uh, idea and then that became the digital flag concept yeah but I think from the very from very early on, rather than having an image which was just simply a flat flag, um, the idea was to sort of incorporate something of the almost off a screen a vision to it. And the second version of it there, where you see that we've added a sort of titles and things, a graphic a text underneath the the image to, and that graduated into what we did, what became the actual cover with the the various images that are there. Well, looking at the mockups. And what the sleeve became, I, I really like the original mock-ups, the simplicity of them. Yeah, I, I think what put them off slightly, as and then again, I'm going back a lot, a lot of years, there was an album by an English band that came out in and around the same time, which was simply uh, the stars yeah. and a blue background. Um, so that kind of moved us into somewhere going a little bit further with the whole thing. Um, and if you look closely, obviously, you can see that the back cover and the front cover are the same grids, mm-hmm. system, the same pictures. But we've overlaid the stars, the baby, and this text information on the front cover. I think so. Just looking at the, looking at the cover, as dense and complex, and the digital murkiness of it, it's hard. It's hard to see what it is until you realise on the back sleeve that you see the images that then have this kind of veil of obscure text. Yeah, it, it's 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 it was again the use of the computer to 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 turn uh, text into something. Um, more, more like a hieroglyphic that it's not not an obvious thing to that text I believe is uh, lyrics for the sleeve and in fact I think there's some track titles that didn't make it onto the record yeah it was this is the titles that didn't didn't uh, didn't make it through to the, to the final mixes at some point we would have taken the picture of the of the board in the studio with the different titles on it and said well we can work these into the process but it began to get more and more obscure as it, as it went in but i mean it's an album as well when you go back you, th- you look at the titles um certainly uh probably the most well-known song on it is um stay far away so close um that's probably one that 
people remember lemon was uh, also very popular and became a a, a, a remix album in, in itself and of course the lemon became an icon in itself and and literally became a stage prop then on the next tour it did it was used in the, in, in the tour and, and the whole thing but probably the oddest track on the whole thing is yes. the wanderer which was a track which they recorded in dublin yeah. with johnny cash yeah. on vocal um and they had recorded. They've recorded with Johnny Cash, and they've recorded with Willie Nelson. And the so most notable absence there being Anton Corbin's work, yeah. which, and I think that's an interesting concept because you're you're, you're effectively bur- burying a old school country legend in this in this electronic madness. Do you have any memories on the evolution of the baby into Space Baby? Well, it was it was. I think it was Eurovision. It was all that the stars, you know, I mean, the, the Eurovision Song Contest used to, and other European broadcasts used to have the stars and, and the whole thing. And it was really, now we've gone into a, intergalactic into a newer world. Let's, let's bring the baby into the same world of, of what was developing in terms of, and that's when the, Sean, the space baby idea became part of it, you know. Okay. According to this. And, and all that. You know, it was almost yeah. taking it from the from the early space exploration rather than later on. Yeah, there's a note that it was meant to represent an urban legend of the Soviet cosmonaut supposedly left floating in orbit for weeks after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So, yeah, um, the, you know that that, that, say, that kind of informational uh, infographics uh, was, informed a lot of what we were doing at that time. I think Paul McGuinness said that Zuropa effectively turned its pairing with Octon Baby into a one-two punch, which I really like in a sense because it 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 gives it gives you a feeling that on one hand you have Octon and on the other hand you have Zuropa, but what 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 that conjures in my mind is this idea that I've said a few times before in previous episodes is the idea of like a feedback loop yeah. that Octon evolves into Zoo which evolves into Zuropa the tour, which then feeds back into Zuropa the record. Yes. This is probably the album that uses more of the onstage uh, graphic side of it than, than any other. Yes, not on, not on the cover at all. I think because they were working so hard in terms of going out, doing the shows, coming back, uh, there wouldn't have been time for Anton to do. Well, furthermore, I think that the sleeve for Zuropa isn't maybe as celebrated or seen as being as much of a classic as the other sleeves. And I, I don't want to say necessarily that it's dated poorly or is of its time, but I think there's a kind of a hidden strength in it in the sense that it feels to me like what would happen if you took Octum Baby, Zoo TV, the Zuropa tour this three-dimensional, multifaceted, hyper-vivid experience, you know, unfold it down on itself and present it on a two-dimensional plane. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, I imagine if you went back to the uh, the DVD that was released from the show, you would see a lot of these images in their in their full glory on on the screens behind them as well at the same time. Yeah. Uh, a preacher. There's Ceausescu. There's Lenin. There's uh, the atomic symbol. You know, there's a lot of sort of of the imagery that relates to the songs that was on the screens being used. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's chat about the process. I think wanting to leave a generous amount of enigma in these images, because I think this really is hyper-textural this time around. There's obviously still little bits and pieces that you can find meaning in, but let's not do an image-by-image image thing, and let's just talk about the process. Well, it, it certainly would have been a very different process to anything else we did, because um, going back to the technology at that time, we could not, there wasn't technology to screen grab from the images. As far as I recall, we had to set up a still camera in Wimble Lane Studios, facing the big screen. And I had to uh, say, freeze that, photograph that, freeze that, photograph that. So going through, and obviously these these nine images are only a selection of what the number of images that we'd taken for that. Then they had to be scanned and they had to be put into, fed into the computer. Well, there's um, two thoughts I have. First of all, necessity is the mother of invention. And also I think that those scan lines are the thing that directly connects it back to the Zoo TV tour, which itself is this, televised grainy um, textural thing and I love the fact that you have essentially two processes involved in the creation of these images where you're taking photographs of a screen and then you're printing images from those photographs or photocopying them so you have you're adding like this generation loss to the process yeah, well, it, 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 it was very conscious at the time of the graphic sensibility of photographing from a screen. It had been done before quite effectively, and it becomes almost a, a layered texture in itself. It's something that's quite strong. I mean, you could take, for instance, the image of Lenin. That, that itself would make a great image um, blown up to a full cover if you want if you wanted to do it that way. But it did. It, it has its own inherent qualities that don't exist anywhere else. And there's also the images are contrasting. Um, there was you know you can see the the shot with from the inside with the the priests against the the, the naked bodies. It's it, there's, a, there's the same idea of contrasting imagery that was on Acton carried through to Zeropa. Brian Eno's contribution to the records that he's producing is often defined by himself, I believe, as treatments, which is in reference to the processes that he puts the sounds through to give them their unique tones and and sonic sensibilities. And I think in many ways, what you're doing is, is in the same spirit as the way the record has been produced and recorded and mixed, and it's got this feeling of treatments and process connected between the two things. Yes, I think so. I think that there's a, there's a sim synchronicity between the two processes. In fact, three processes, the live show, the recording, and our design, they, they're all linking together to create something that uh, makes sense across all three platforms. So as we learned in the last episode, you brought Sean McGraw on board to collaborate with you on that record. 
And on this record, you had another designer and technician, I guess, working with you guys who was particularly important in realising the digital aspect of it. Yeah, Brian Brian Williams had joined the team uh, as a fully-fledged member of the team. Um, and we worked very closely together. Uh, you know, it's it's difficult to say uh, Brian is, 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 is credited with the design, but there was myself and John would have had an art direction input into what was happening. And the fact that I would have been working in the studio, choosing images, you know, we all, this was a kind of very much a three-way a three, a three process. Brian was on board as a designer in his own right, but also critically could realise this technical or digital dream. Yes, yes. Um, and Brian, uh, when he left the company, um, went to work for another design company and then I think moved into motion graphics in a big way. Yes, Brian is a respected director in his own right nowadays, working heavily in VFX work and motion graphics now, the story of how this record was delivered is an interesting anecdote in its own right. This is the first time you're delivering art that's not on a physical board to be reproduced. It's a digital format. And just to remind listeners that this is 1993, so there's no email, there's no hard drives. Yeah, well, what generally happened, uh, certainly from... Uh, Act on Baby onwards is that uh, we were working with Island Records and we were working with a production company called Sonicon who actually produced the final artwork and the the films for the for for production of the album for printing of the album covers. So uh, as you two were generally speaking late with delivery of everything else, we had to go to London to their studio where they provided us with uh, a Mac where we had to uh, await the final changes, like track listing might change, something else might change. So we, in order to do that, as the uh, design, main design had been uh, produced on the Quadra, that meant that and the Quadra was, was a system that worked off a floppy disk. So what you had to do was uh, put the entire album cover, which is quite a large file, onto a floppy disk. Each floppy disk only contained a certain small amount of information. So as as, as far as I can recall, we had this enormous amount, of 100 or something floppy disks, which we had to number one, two in sequence. So that when we Did you say 100 floppy disks? Yeah, something like that, which is a huge amount of floppy disks that, that we were taking back with us. And again, you couldn't, if you lost one or you lost the sequence, it, it, it wouldn't recreate itself. Um, so you, you, we had to go with those. We had to have them wrapped in tinfoil. We had to have them in a separate uh, place, go to customs at the airport and say, this is uh, computer information. Uh, it can't be x-rayed. You can open it outside of the x-ray, look at it and see what it is, um, which is what they what they did. And then we go through and pick the, the parcel up again. And just for for uh, for technical reference, a floppy disk had the capacity of a standard of 1.44 megabytes, um, but anything between 800 kilobytes and 2.8 megabytes. Yeah. We have come a very long way. <laughs> we certainly have. Uh, and, and you always run the function that one or two of these disks will, will malfunction or will not, will, will not work. But anyway, we got to the studio. We, we unloaded it there in, in Sonicon. We uh, checked everything with them. And they would uh, then produce film and they would produce a chromalin. Uh, for us to check uh, that everything was exactly as we needed it, that all the text was correct. Uh, and with every U2 album, there's a lot of text. 
a lot of lyrics and a lot of things that we need to look at. Yeah. So Sean and I would work together. I would be checking a lot of the text and the information and John would be working, putting the, the sequence of the imagery back together again so that we would be able to produce the album. How long from start to finish on this? Uh it was fairly quick. I, I I would say less than six months. But I, I, again, you know, without a, without a diary in front of me, I can't be hundred percent sure. But I would say, from strangely, six months feels like actually a lot of time. Well, I'm going to say six months. That would go from starting the design, then recording, yeah. mastering it, getting it over there, mm. getting. To, I mean, the last mm. thing we would have done would, would have been take the artwork to the UK because that's the point where there's no changing going to be made after that point. So they would wait yeah. until I think. Uh, Edge certainly would, would, would be getting um, mastering discs in so that they could check that it was exactly what they wanted. So it, it wasn't, the artwork wasn't finally closed until all that was approved and ready to go. There's quite a lot of materials, supplementary materials for this campaign. T-shirts, lots and lots of T-shirts, far more than you'd ever seen before. And you have different um, different tour programs for the different um for different countries. When it came to all this material, were you given a lot of free reign? Uh, once the band was on tour, once the, the, the Zoropa was done, we were kind of, as I said before, left to our devices with the tour programs and all the merchandising and everything else and had fun coming up with ideas. Uh, I think everybody in the studio, even, even uh, the guys that weren't working directly on it, were involved in coming up with ideas for these various things that we would do, like the advertisements for, for the zoo condom and, and uh, the zoo cola and uh, the, the money that was going to be used, all these. And creating the icons. I mean, Sean had fun drawing all these icons, an icon for each track and more um, in the tour. Well, with all of the different ideas that came out of the programs and even propaganda, calling itself propaganda, like there seems to be, the, the, this is the first instance of the band leaning into into the kind of sense of consumerism or, or hyper-capitalism, which becomes even more pronounced on pop. Well, I think I think in, because it's Europa, uh Whereas pop, in a sense, embraces uh, a sort of society capitalism, there's a certain element of capitalism and anti-capitalism in the imagery and, and the images in uh, the zoo programs, the zoo TV program. Um, you know, there's things about there's the buffalo and, and it relates to the one, one of one uh, imagery and things like that. So there was a certain, con- I mean, and, and a lot of the, the statistics that are shown are about things that are probably going wrong with the world the amount of you know money spent on on military materials things like that uh all these things you're feeding into it but at the same time it's it's done in a way that seems very upfront uh pop consumerism and and uh, light but in fact there's a there's a depth to it as there is in the music that makes a, a, a deeper sense there's something very zeitgeist about it all or even that it feels like like some kind of um look back at reaganomics or the reagan era Yes. So with all of the various products and bits and pieces of ephemera that you were designing, I, I imagine that was a lot of fun for you and the team. Yeah, it was fun because it, it, it feeds a little bit into our uh, our my advertising background. You know, we, we sit down and create these campaigns for, for products that don't exist. Um, but, you know, it was fun to do them. I mean, like, um, uh, I remember one point there's an image in the tour program which uh, – is about UFOs and it has these kind of like uh, we we had to get to UFOs. So uh, taking the information that years and years ago people used to throw in America used to throw hubcaps in the air and photograph them and said it was a flying saucer. We 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 found an image of a car 
wheel and use the hubcap of that to to put three of these in a row on on the on the page to sort of imitate that that kind of thing. I just mentioned the YouTube magazine propaganda. And I want to just talk about that for a moment before we wrap up that this is a, a whole new endeavor. It, it, it adds yet another layer to the design canon. Well, essentially, propaganda was a, uh, in the very early days, it, it was quite a simple production. Um, I think that uh, Willie Williams was the editor of the original, uh, and it, it, a lot of it was about his his tour diary and what he what he was happening and people he interviewed. And I, I can't remember what exact point we were asked, would we take over the design? of the magazine uh, and it was interesting because in the studio uh because the team was expanding and new people were were, were involved uh, uh the design of the, of the of an issue was given to a different person each time to kind of keep the flavor of the whole thing or two or three people would work on it together depending on the on the time scale that it was needed um but they do they they were very much related to to uh what our processes were and it went beyond that because these were interviews even with ourselves or talking about the with with our ideas for various products but um it was suddenly went from a sort of a in fact I think the later editions of propaganda are actually printed in Ireland, shipped shipped out from Ireland to the fan fan base. Uh, until propaganda reached a point where it was decided that it would be better served by a, being an online um, process rather than a, an actual printed process. I think it was quite expensive to do, and it was great for the fans to get it. And some of the issues are really really good, like specifically the the issue where the Lemon Remix uh, CD came with it. You know that was that became a collector's item in many ways. Um, what, was this amount of material ever overwhelming? Uh, it possibly was overwhelming, but I said, you know, it was our uh, against some of the more 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 um, corporate blue chip and 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 straightforward clients. It it was every design team needs a outlet that you can put as much creativity as you can muster into it. So it it didn't seem to us as a arduous task it seemed to us as, as an adventure and so it, it meant late hours weekends getting things done but we were kind of relishing doing it so it, it we didn't mm-hmm. take it as it being a negative we took it as a positive well to bring it to a close this may not be your favorite sleeve or or may not be ranked up there with the, with the other classics but how, how do you feel about it now um uh, i would say that i think that um had we controlled that with a more sophisticated computer, um, because we were only using the very, as you say, the very the very early version of it, we were limited slightly by the, what we could do. But that in itself gives it a charm that's quite unique to that. I think that um, had we been able to do something a bit stronger um, or a bit more sophisticated, I think it might have gone a slightly different direction. But I, I you know, it's not my favorite album, but I think it's a very, very strong. Uh, it ties very much in with Acton. I think it's a companion album to that. And so ends another chapter of U2Y. Thank you sincerely for listening. We'll be back very soon with the futuristic pop art sleeve that is pop. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.